You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit LonoCoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You know you need more for the holidays. Today, I chat with Washington team president Jason Wright. I spoke to him a few weeks ago about the culture, what he does with Ron Rivera, the team name, and other topics. I know a couple things have kind of popped up since then, but I still wanted to play this because I think it was a good chat with Jason Wright. He was gracious with his time and I think you'll enjoy it. In case you missed it, I had a podcast out Tuesday previewing the Washington-Dallas game while also sharing a few nuggets of information you need to know, like on why the defense is struggling to stop the run. It's not just the linebackers, folks. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. And now, here's my conversation with Washington team president, Jason Wright. Well, first of all, I appreciate you joining me. And I've got the first thing I'm going to ask you, did you realize how tiring being transparent would be? Because you've been all over the place. <laughs> uh, you know, no, I did not know <laughs> that it would uh, require so much effort. But, you know, I, I look at it as a bit of paying an old bill. You know, that first payment is pretty big. Sure. Um, and, and I'm happy to invest the time f- for two reasons, because the additional time meeting with the media, talking to our fans, engaging in social media, which is new to me too, all of that is, is worth the effort because it shows that we mean what we say. And that's an important part of the culture we're setting here, both for me on the business side and coach on the football side, that we mean what the heck we say. And so it's following through on that. And then I think secondarily there there just hasn't been a flow of information out of this place in the past. And so there's a lot a backlog of topics and things that need to sort of work their way through before we're at a baseline level of understanding of how we operate and how the business operates, where it can get to a more metered pace, but I'm ready to scale it back. But for now I'm good. <laughs> well, just, but speaking of the, the interactions, cause you are pretty active on social media. What has that been like and what's the reaction to fans with you being transparent and being available for them, what's it been like? I think it's actually similar to what you get, um, what I'm getting actually in our workforce as part of our culture change. It's a combination of um, a lot of enthusiasm and encouragement to continue, uh, lots of thank yous uh, for operating in a different way. Um, And then also a lot of raw emotion Uh, because when you do open up the door and people feel like they actually do have a voice, you're gonna get some raw comments. You're gonna get some heartfelt, unfiltered, maybe a bit harsher than I would ever speak um, uh, encounters. 
Um, and that also happens within our workforce because our workforce now believes that we are establishing a culture where they can be safe and they can bring forward ideas and they can bring forward complaints and things like that and something will happen associated with it. And so we get more than our fair share of things that are a bit raw and emotional. Um, so I actually see the two things in parallel and it's all good. It's all good. So, so like in other words, two point conversions and things like that. <laughs> That's my favorite. And you know, I'm not afraid to use a little snark either, right? Like, like I appreciate you know, that. Like with all the, you know, with all the comments on the football side, which I don't, you know, have any uh, say in. You know, eventually, I'm, you know, I'll just I'll come back with a little sarcasm here and there. But you know, I'm just like the rest of y'all when it comes to those things. Um, but I, but I do believe, and I do have maybe a different perspective as a former player that. And we're not even halfway through a season of a brand new coach. It's real hard to jump on every decision. I know the temptation to jump on every decision as direction setting or indicative of where the franchise is going. But, oh, man, so much is idiosyncratic in that first year. I've seen this before. And if you could see what's happening in the background, the stolidity, the solidity, the stability, the direction that coach is providing y'all would feel really good about it. But well, And I want to get into some of the main topics there, but a lot of people are talking about, but I do want to follow along that path because as a former player, and the first time I talked to you, I asked you about how that background with it, but as a former player now being in this role, how do you think it helps you to not just, because clearly you're there for the business side, but you also want an understanding of what's going on over here. How has that helped you to see what's going on on the football side? Yeah, I think one of the things that it's helped me with on the business and, you know, and how it supports the football side is, number one, I know how to get out of the way. <laughs> it is, the football season is intense. Players need to be focused. Coaches need to be focused. There's a way that the business is additive and supportive of elevating the things that the football side wants to do. And there's a way that we can get, be distracting and in the way um, by drawing on too much time, by presenting distractions. And I think um, I know the balance there and I've made it my commitment to coach to hold that balance. Um, I think the second thing is when coach and I are talking about having one culture across the organization, when we think of values like transparency or trustworthiness or things like that, things that we're talking about creating that, you know, would be on the walls and established across the entire organization. I understand the translation of those over to the football side. I understand what the, the manifestation of those are for a player and, and for a team because I, you know, I've lived it. And so that helps with our conversations. I can play a bit of translator from um, you know, business values to, to team values and vice versa. Um, I think that helps as well. And then um, you know, I think the last thing is as a player, at least for me, the type of player I was, you get a bit non-emotional about the game and when you're in the game in the moment of course you're emotional and you're heated and you're playing but when you take a step back it, it, it comes back to probabilities execution of assignments where you put your feet and your hands and film and it's actually a very mathematic thing when you're a player and you study film and so for me now as an executive and as a fan it helps me to have the right emotional distance from the day-to-day -day outcomes, to be able to see the bigger picture, to understand that a game is determined on a few different things falling one way or another, and to feel good and in a positive place. It helps a ton. And then obviously you're also there, you know, tasked as we've talked before, and a lot of people made about changing the culture. You don't change it overnight, and it can take a little while, uh, maybe longer than a team name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but it, can, it can take – it can, it can take a while. So what are the steps that you've been taking so far 
to start that process? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's a few things that you can do right out of the gate. And do they take time to really feel the full effect? Yes. But we've put in what I would consider a great set of HR processes and policies that just weren't at a robust enough level before. You know, exam a small example I can give without getting into all the privacy concerns is something on parental leave, which affects all of our colleagues, but especially our women colleagues who historically have not been as strongly supported as they should have been in this enterprise. And uh, we went from something that was, I would call paltry to league leading. And it was a simple decision. When we looked at our workforce, looked at what it would mean for them, looked at what it would meant, communicate in terms of the value that we're now bringing to a set of colleagues, it was a no brainer. Other things like that around benefits, having a whistleblower hotline, where you can anonymously say, hey, XYZ is not right, and I need it to be addressed. We've built that in, that, now, that exists. Um, you know, um, we've given all of these channels by which people can really um, you know, feel safe and productive. So there's a base level of things we do there. Um, but the other thing we're doing is much like we're doing with the fans and the media is we're openly communicating. Every Friday I have what I call an ask me anything where the entire workforce can come on, they can ask anonymous questions, they can put their names behind it, and we ask, we answer everything. If we don't know the answer right away, we'll push it to the next week. But it's about being open and transparent. I probably sent more company-wide emails than I ever expected to send because we're communicating when things are coming down, when we're making organizational changes. And then the last thing is I'm really looking at um, our organizational health overall and doing a pretty rigorous assessment of where we are. What kind of environment are we creating for colleagues in each part of our business? How well are our leaders leading? And where we need new functions and new leaders, we're bringing them in like Julie Jensen, our new EVP or SVP for external communications and um, external engagement and communications and others like that. You know, we'll announce our chief people officer soon. Those bringing in new leaders with fresh ideas and a track record of treating people well is going to move things really quickly as well. Was it worse or tougher than you imagined to start that whole process? Good question. Um, no, it wasn't tougher. It wasn't tougher, um, mainly because our workforce was eager for change. This is a place that was hungry for change, um, albeit skeptical, and they probably still are, and rightly so. You know, there've been a few runs, uh, there've been a few runs at the, at the goal line here. Um, but I, I do think that despite that hesitation to put their hope in, again, people have put their hope in within this organization. And I think we're making good on it and we'll continue to. Have you been in contact with the NFL over their investigation of the whole, and I know you weren't here for all that, but now you're tasked to being in charge. Have you been in contact with them? No, it is truly an independent investigation. Um, the only thing I get from the NFL or the investigators is a request to talk to somebody. And then I try to pull down all the barriers and, and make it happen. It's all about just being compliant. Um, I am eager though for the report because I, I'm not afraid of it, you know, and maybe that's easy for me to say because I wasn't here, right? But I think it's a net benefit to us as an organization. You, you can't fix what you won't face. And I think we are getting a good insight into all the gaps we need to fill, the leadership changes and things like that that we need to make. Um, but I'm sure we have blind spots in what I and my team can find. And so I'm eager to fill in those gaps um, with this investigation. Do you have any idea, have they given any indication as to how long this might go on? 
Nope. I'm sitting right there with you. Um, <laughs> honestly, like at first I was really chomping at the bit and sort of tapping my fingers on the table. But honestly, the more thorough they are, the better. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you, because that's only better for you guys in the long run. Whatever. Yeah, get out whatever. Up later. Yeah, I don't want yeah. stuff popping up later. I want to know it all. Right. And going back to one thing before I move on to um, name stuff and all that, you said the whistleblower hotline. How does that work? And has that been, have people been calling that? Yeah, you know, I, I haven't um, gotten anything that's come to my desk because it doesn't necessarily all need to come to okay. me. But it's, it's something that's common around companies. You could, you know, uh, some people have an ombudsperson, other people have a hotline, whatever it is. But it is a way to submit complaints in an anonymous, protected way. And then our HR staff funnels it to the right source based on the right mitigation circumstances around it, whether it's more fact collecting that's needed or a direct addressing with a manager, et cetera. Um, and so I, nothing has hit my desk yet. And if it didn't directly involve me, then I shouldn't know about it. And hopefully it's getting handled in the right ways, preserving anonymity, because these personnel things are, are very sensitive. Um, and so it should be a need to know basis. It does. It sounds like because I know in talking to people who had worked there in the past, what they always wanted was a voice. Mm -hmm. That's what this sounds like you're trying to provide. Absolutely. This is one way. And I think there are other, um, you know, beyond just the blocking and tackling of HR, there are other ways to provide that voice. Um, and as we think about bringing in new talent or elevating the existing talent that we have, it should be giving diverse perspectives outside, say, on our biggest business decisions, right? So our new identity, the establishment of a new brand and name and all of that, there should be a diverse set of folks within this organization having input on that, not a small cast of characters. And it should be inclusive of our entire fan base and alumni and other stakeholders. And, um, you know, there are ways that we make sure that people in this organization have a voice, not only for their individual um, experience, but also for the big business decisions that are going to shape this franchise for a generation. You are tasked to do this on the business side, Ron Rivera, on the football side. How do you guys work together with this? Yeah, um, we're, we're in pretty close uh, contact. Um, we, we meet at least once a week. I just had my weekly with him today where we talk about the things we need from one another. Like I said, we're jointly creating our values and mission together because we do think it should cut across the entire organization. Um, and we also just test big decisions with one another, even if it's slightly outside of our lane. Just like, hey, here's how I'm thinking through something. Or would you, because he's a great leader. He's a great leader. What people don't realize is head coaches are, are chief executives in their own right. And they've made some of the more complex under pressure decisions. You know, I'd, um, I'd put them second to, you know, folks who have led in combat in the military, you know, and to making those, you know, those pressure filled spur of the moment type of decisions that require analytics and judgment. Um, and so I love testing ideas with them. Hey, what do you think if I handled this workplace change in this way? What do you think about that? How will that land? Um, he's a great thought partner. Um, and then um, Rob Rogers, who's his, you know, right hand man. Um, is part of my captain's meeting, which is all the top folks that report to me or report one level down for me on key topics. He's in that as well. And so we have a great information flow and thought partnership that I'm really enjoying because he's a great man to work with. But you know, it's funny because I read what you wrote about the two-point conversion attempt from the Giants game a few weeks back. And you didn't focus on the outcome. You focused on the decision-making process and what you saw. 
was that just, is that coming from an ex-player perspective or just a leadership perspective? What, let, what, why did you go with that route? Because I yeah. know you're not going to sit there and second guess a coach, but you were, you were drawn to that part of it. Insightful question, John. Really insightful question. I think um, it's both my former player lens and my general leader and business leader lens. Because to me, you know, football, any sport or any, actually any business decision or investment, there's a portion of it that is luck and probability. Did the defense line up a certain way? Did you line up a certain way? What are the specific matchups between the two players who are over each other at that time? What's the weather? Like there are so many things that impact it beyond your control that the thing that I look for both in a sports decision in the most successful teams I was a part of, as well as business decisions in the most successful business ventures I've been a part of is consistency in the process of decision-making, having a clear strategy, aligning and adhering to that strategy, having clear lines that when you get new data, you'd say, oh, this is above a certain, certain threshold. So now we should change the decision rather than doing it knee jerk, willy nilly finger in the wind. If you have a consistent and replicable process, you're going to succeed more at the maximum number of times based on the probabilities versus getting less than your share of successful outings. So that's what gave me the confidence. Coach had a strategy. He knew what he wanted to do in that scenario and he did it and it did not pan out, but he will consistently stick to that. And more times than not, it is a good strategy and it will succeed. That's what you got to believe. And then if suddenly the strategy isn't panning out, then you shift the strategy. But that, that to me, consistency is everything. Um, that stability is everything. And I find that in the franchises I was a part of in sports that were the most, uh, I'd say, blown with the wind, like a reed, blown in the wind rather than a solid rock, those are the ones that struggled the most. How long, when you meet with them, how long do you guys talk? Somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half and with some follow-up over the course of the rest of the week. Not, not a long time, but enough. Enough. Enough to get – enough to have that – cross-representation that any place needs. Yeah, that's right. So let's get to the team name because nobody's asked you about that lately. No, you know, no so, one cares about this at all. I'm, <laughs> so, I'm shocked that they're so interesting. Yeah, but so you know, there, you've obviously said recently a few times that you're looking at, you may not even know it until middle of 2021, and even then you may not be ready to announce it because there's so much to do. Where are you at in the process right now, though, as far as like, focus groups, market research, what are you doing right now with that? That's a great question. So I'd say there are three lanes that get us to, you know, next year and having an idea of what the new identity would be. The first is the nerd path. And that's where we're, that's where we're doing most of our work right now. This is market analysis, algorithms and market testing, statistical analysis around our fan base, understanding our customers and segmenting them and understanding our fans and our customers and folks that participate in our merchandise and, um, and segmenting that in a new way, understanding their needs in a deeper analytic way. There's a nerd path that we're working on fast and furious. In preparation for what I think is probably the most important piece, and that's the ground game of meeting in focus groups with fans over the coming months, we're at a discovery phase where we're ingesting a ton of fan input. And we've got something like 9,000 plus submissions of various different permutations of, of names and ideas. 
and some are very detailed and give a lot of information behind it. All others are two line emails, you know, it is, it is us ingesting all of that and preparing ourselves to engage fans. And it's not just about engaging them around the what, like what name do you want, but the why, you know, I, I give the example of, um, uh, let's say the wolves or the red wolves. That's one that is quite popular online, right? Yes, I've heard. <laughs> yes, you may have heard. You know, there are things that are really compelling about what they've put out there. When you think about a charitable lens, they say we could do something around conservation and animal rights. That's a compelling idea. Uh, there's an idea around fan experience of a, a howl that would fill the stadium or whatever. Those are all really great ideas. I think underneath them, what will help us is to understand why is the conservation thing because we actually deeply care about that as a fan base? Are we like a, are we a environmentally savvy fan base across groups for the, you know, this, 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 this howl or this cry? Is there something that we think is really important about a simple, accessible, unifying rallying cry that's needed in the in-stadium experience? And then whether or not we land on that name or not, it's something that can be designed into the fan experience and hits at the heart of what people were looking for versus the specific manifestation of that. And so, yeah, there is a plan for focus groups coming together and all that, but we're in the discovery phase now where we're ingesting. Um, and then I think there's a third path that's similar to focus groups, but is more about engaging community leaders that should be um, engaged on this. And actually that fan thing I should know, it's not just about existing fans, it's also about past fans that have ebbed and are no longer enthusiastic about our franchise. We want y'all back. And the plan is to win them back um, by being different as an organization and doing something really cool with this brand. And also future fans, those that are in different demographics that we haven't hit before. And so the focus group should be all of those. Then there's leaders in the community, whether it's government leaders in the area, our alumni and former players, it is um, community organizations, um, uh, Native American tribal communities, all of these folks that should have equity and what comes out the other side of this process. And I think across all that, the nerd path, the fan path, and the community leaders path, we'll make a call based on the best available data. With, with Native American tribal leaders, why is it important to keep them as part of this process? I'm number one, they're a big part of our fan base, first of all. So yes, they are. And I don't mean any disrespect by asking it that way, but it is, yeah. You know, I do want, yeah. I was, I wanted. No, no, I know, I got, I got, no, I, no, I, I understood the heart of your question. Um, uh, they're part of the Washington football family, first and foremost. I think secondarily, um, it's, uh, we'd have to put some blinders on to recognize that the entire identity to date has not been entangled with Native American identity in a way that we should listen to them when we're thinking about what comes next. Right. And this is not a monolithic community either is what I've learned. Right. It's uh, this is this is classic. Right. Like you would think I would know as a black man and knowing the diverse perspectives that exist across black America. But I think we all have a tendency to think like, hey, we just put a group together and they right. think a certain way. It is not at all the case uh, about uh, native and tribal and original Americans communities. And so it's going to be a wonderful um, learning process for us to listen a ton and hear the variety of perspectives that would help us guide a path forward. And I think no matter what, you know, our um, engagement with native communities will be substantive, meaningful, heartfelt, um, and real um, going forward, no matter where we go. And what about like the, the colors, 
the band. What are you, what, what are you hearing there? Good do you question. anticipate all those being part of this? Good question. No, I don't think, I can say, I, I can't say this definitively, but we, it'll take a lot for us to change the burgundy and gold. I don't, yeah. I mean, that, you could, you could put that one in pen. I, I don't see us moving off of that at any point. Um, and I, that's not actually something that's actively being considered. I'll, I'll revise that if that happened, but I, okay. I don't see that happening, my friend. Yeah. I do not see that happening, my friend. Um, and then I think for the rest of the stuff around the fan experience, the band and what the game day experience would be, that is more of a, of a blank slate. But I think an important piece is we're going to need to tie in all these aspects of our history. Right. Right. Um, and I think the, the most natural way to do that is through alumni. And we're already starting to revamp our alumni program under the leadership of Doug Williams and Julie Jensen, who we brought in. Um, and there's a broader set of conversations around the band and traditions and how they evolve into the new identity. Because I think we will be very slow to jettison anything because we don't want to, we're not an expansion franchise. This is the Washington football team that's been here since 1932. And that is part of what anchors us as a substantial franchise in the NFL. And we don't want to lose that. So we'll be very slow to jettison things but we definitely need to reimagine how everything fits together again in a future state. Is there any chance that football team becomes the permanent name? It's definitely in the running, right? I don't think anything is off the table. Okay. Um, uh, I think at this stage, yeah, we're wide open. And there are a lot of people that are excited about it. Just there, like there are a lot of people that are excited about other things. Um, and in particular, this one, people are excited about the idea of a club that is fir- that its identity is solely rooted in the area it represents, you know, and maybe it's football team, maybe it's football club, there are various permutations that people like, but there are some real compelling reasons. Again, we need to get underneath the why. We need to get underneath and understand the why so that no matter what direction we go, we can try to pull on the heartstrings of what really matters to folks. And this is all why it's going to take a long time. That's right. And also, and also, you know, we're going to move quickly. Like I've tried to give a calibration you know, um, the Seattle Kraken, the new NHL team, the four-year process to develop their name. And I think they have a dope name, by the way. I think Kraken is an amazing name. <laughs> it's, it's very unique. It's an amazing name. Yeah. I think it's yeah. so freaking cool. Um, you know, the Rams went through a two-year process just for their logo. You know, we're going to move a lot faster than that because we know we have to. We know we have to. So we're going to move a lot faster than that. But even if we're at a point where we have a new identity sort of ready in the background after all this research by the middle of next year or prior to next season starting, it's not something we can immediately roll out. There's a bunch of wonky stuff around trademarking Trademarks, and all yeah. that. But there's also just the practicals of, uh, of not having a messy, nasty rollout. So I don't know, I have these cousins in my family that if they got wind of the new name, actually trademark and we actually had a logo and all this stuff they're milking they're they're making silkscreen t-shirts tomorrow <laughs> that, that, yes. that are that are bootleg as heck yeah. Yeah. that are now spread all over the place we have a hundred different versions of the logo it's the messiest most embarrassing rollout you can imagine and i think the last thing our fan base wants is something that is messy and embarrassing right i 
I would. I think they've had enough of that, to be honest. And my my mentions on Twitter would 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 certainly support that that notion. Yes. Um, yes. I want two more topics. I want to get to the salute to service in one minute, but I also want to ask about the stadium. You have met with Maryland leaders. Have you met with DC and Virginia leaders about a stadium? Yeah, I've met with community leaders across the entire. Okay. Um, and it's not just about the stadium. It's actually just understanding the economic development and strategic goals for the region. Because Dan, Tanya, and I first and foremost see the stadium as an economic development effort. Yes, it's gonna make us money, and yes, it's gonna be great for the franchise. Yeah, it will do all those things. But I think the thing we're most excited about is being the stewards of a multi-billion dollar investment in this area, that if we do it well, and one of the ways we want to do it well is to do it in an equitable way, where the capital is flowing to women-owned, veteran-owned, minority-owned businesses that are often overlooked in mega projects like this, where the stadium itself meets some of the aims of the community. You know, what if we had a magnet school built into the stadium space to provide educational opportunities for kids from the area? What if we had set-aside space for local entrepreneurs, flexible workspace in and around the stadium? Like, there's a lot of ways that this can be done in a dynamic community oriented way that I think fits with the DMV area. Um, if we are stewards of that and we do it in an equitable way, we know that it is a, a rising tide that is gonna raise all economic boats. You know, my own research from my previous company says that if you're able to close the racial wealth gap, it's worth 6% of GDP for the entire yep. US economy. We should do our part for that in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area with this effort. And so it's more about hearing the vision for the economic development strategy of the region meeting these folks as individuals, reintroducing ourselves and saying, hi, here's who we are now. And also sharing a bit of our vision uh, behind the project way before we're talking anything substantive that you and the fans would care about around stadium. And that's what I was gonna ask you too, because it almost sounds like you need to rebuild relationships within this area before you can start down that path. That's right, that's right. It's never good to walk in and say, hey, my name is Jason and man, do I have a deal for you. <laughs> and, uh, strategy. But did you feel that there was the relationships had to be repaired in this area? Well, I think uh, repaired is a strong word. I would say we need to reintroduce because we have new leadership. You know, we have new leadership. These are completely new faces. It's not like I'm walking into these meetings with folks they've seen before. My advisors are different. My chief of staff is different. Like all these folks are different. You know, Julie Jensen is new and she's a big part of these conversations. Um, like it's, it's new. So at minimum, it's, it's a blank slate and a real need to reintroduce and build trust because you don't just trust people off a of rip. And it, and it does sound like, I think, sometimes coming with fresh voices, fresh eyes can reinvigorate a project as well. I think that's right. And when, when would you, I know what you're trying to do with that, and I'm going to try and see if I can get a timeline for it because it is coming up and it, seven years sounds like a long time, but it's really not in this whole process. Yeah, yeah. So what is your desire to get like, you know, wherever it is, where, where, what, what's the timeline for, for this? Yeah, I've got one in the, in the back of my head, but I'm not going to put it out there. I now. can't see it. Can you say it? Exactly. <laughs> learned, I have learned my lesson. Uh, there is a limit to my transparency. Um, I'll put the brakes on it. I have one uh, working in the back of my head. I'll say this. I know we need to move as quickly as possible. Because to you, you are 100% correct that seven years is not a long time. It's not a long time for a project of this complexity, this size, and especially the way we want to do it in a unique and special way where we will have to push everyone working with us to align with our values on this. But Dan, Tanya, and I are prepared to do that. Um, 
So uh, when I can, I'll let you know. Is there, is, there, is there also deeper issues just because there's so much government stuff in this area as far as like who owns what land and what you can do on what land and certain areas in Maryland might be federal land and this, you know, does that, how much does that add to the complexity of this situation? You no, know, it's interesting. I think there are things about this that add a ton of complexity and you've hit on some of them. There are other things that actually reduce the complexity a bit in this area. I think it's probably a wash compared to what other um, teams have had to go through. So okay. I, don't know that, I don't know that we, the dive we're trying to do is okay. a high degree of difficulty or not. It's just different. And then um, before I move off, I'm going to get to the salute to service. One more thing on the name. You want to just tell us what the name's going to be? If, if you had yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think just it, between you and I. I keep it right there on my whiteboard. Or, or no, actually, actually we have a, there's a hat that sits in Dan's office and it's filled with uh, little uh, papers that have the name the Dan select on it and he's going to reach in the hat and pull out. <laughs> the 9,000 submissions all in one hat. Yeah, exactly. But they, <laughs> we've rigged it so it, it picks his favorite name. That's well, you know, if, if it is the Red Wolves, you could get Howl to the Red Wolves and that, there you go. <laughs> uh, look at that. Look at that. Yeah, how about, how about that? Um, last thing, salute to service. I know it's important to you Mm-hmm. Fill us in as to as to what's going on there. Yeah, so November is our salute to service month, um, a really important one to me personally, and I'll talk about why. But it's a place where we're trying to create a space, just like we have thematic months for other things, to focus on, have conversations about the support for those in uniform, uh, to celebrate them, to express that those that defend our nation through inspiring acts of courage and sacrifice and commitment are people that we esteem. And will continue to esteem as long as any of us are here in this organization, as long as Dan and Tanya are leading, and certainly as long as I'm here um, leading as well. And so we'll have a set of events. You know, last week, Doug Williams and I held a virtual event that I'm still buzzing from. We called it Connecting Generations. And we did it in partnership with uh, Friends of the World War II uh, Memorial. Mm. And we did it with um, General Charles McGee, who was a Tuskegee Airman. So um, wow. Black senior leaders in the military during that time. And it was inspiring to me, given all the confluences of various social things that are happening in our world today, that he was very much a man that was about elevating race and justice and civil rights and held that in beautiful tension with still a deep love for his country at the same time and a willingness to put his very life on the line at the same time realizing that that country didn't fully reciprocate in the same way, yet he loved it still. And I think there's an inspiring example if we call to these folks from the past that have galvanized me in this moment and made me realize the, uh, what I lack in strength, endurance, in um, sense of purpose compared to folks from that generation. And I had the personal experience, my wife's grandfather, who recently passed away a few years ago, passed away, was from the same era, uh, Korean War, Vietnam War vet in the Air Force, and you know was a black man entrusted with the map as to where our prime targets were during the Korean War. So he was an early Special Forces guy in the Air Force. Um, but then when he went back to base in Japan, wasn't actually allowed to sit in the same parts of the base with his fellow airmen. And in his words, was treated better in the people by the people of Japan than he was on base yet still loved his country and put his life on the line. There are inspiring stories that we want to elevate in this moment that we think can be unifying. And we're excited to do that in partnership with USAA, who obviously is 
uh, unmatched in their support of our veterans, both through their business model and their philanthropic efforts. So our game against the Giants this week will be our salute to service game. We'll do some stuff before kickoff with a military challenge coin. We will um, honor military and recognize them throughout the game. We'll have personal connections of players and coach to the military. This is a big one for Coach Rivera and Stephanie yeah. Rivera. This is a huge one for them as well. So there's a set of things that will be a comprehensive package. And I would actually look at this if I'm a fan or the media. We're going to do some good stuff this month, as we always have. But this is a launching point for us to do a broader set of things over the course of the year with veterans year round, because they are a key part of this area. And if we're going to represent this area, we have to go big on vets. Um, yeah. And so, you know, a couple of examples that we're doing this year already, there's a virtual tour of Walter Reed uh, Medical Center that Coach Rivera is going to attend. Um, and... Um, we're going to do some stuff with ROTC programs in the area, and we will do more things like that perpetually over the course of the year because this is just critically important for me, my wife, Coach Rivera, his wife, Dan and Tanya. That's really good stuff. And the Tuskegee Airmen fascinate me. And, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting story that when you read about it, especially, and to have met somebody from that would be really, really awesome. Remarkable. Yeah, I had, I had a um, friend of mine, her dad died a year ago, or no, I'm sorry, in March, but he was one of the liberators of Dachau. And just to talk to people from that generation, it's such a gift to have that. And somebody who is such a part of a small group like that and what they went through, it's, it's just remarkable. So that, that's really cool. It really is, man. Jason, listen, I appreciate your time and you're, you know, you're sticking to your word of being transparent. And I, from this end, it's definitely appreciated. And I know fans appreciate that as well. Thank you very much. My pleasure, John. My pleasure, man. You've heard me talking about Lono Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lono Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley. Just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, loanoakcoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right, Put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Jason Wright for joining me and thank you for listening. And thanks as always to Lono Coffee for their continued support. I'll be back with another one after the game. Happy Thanksgiving.